Hi, and welcome to the Doula UK podcast. Today, we're going to be exploring how to support families who are experiencing birth trauma and PTSD. Um, I just want to give a little trigger warning here that this could be sensitive to people um, who have experienced birth trauma. Um, so if this is something you feel might be a bit difficult for you to listen to, please feel free to come back to the next episode. Um, for those who are still with us, I just want to say hi and thank you to Zell, who's with me today. Can you tell us about yourself, Zell? Hi, um, I'm Zell. I'm a dealer down in Dorchester, in deepest, darkest Dorset. Um, I live there with my husband and two birth trauma babies. I've been a doula for about a year, and I'm the community liaison representative for the Birth Trauma Association. Okay. Um, can you tell us about that role that you do and, and why you chose to volunteer? Absolutely. So I had my, uh, my birth traumas in 2016 and 2018. And mm -hmm. the 2018 one was especially uh, horrific. And what it uh, led me to was looking into raising money for the Birth Trauma Association as part of, um, as part of my recovery um, from PTSD. And I raised a ton of money for them. And as a result, um, I ended up uh, working on the committee. And what I do is I raise awareness. I signpost support so people can come to me and say, like, I'm really struggling with this. and I'm not sure where to turn. Um, and I can show them where to go. And also I help with general organisation of the charity, such as helping out with Awareness Week um, and our newsletters. Thank you. Um so birth trauma, um, a lot of people say that as long as parent and baby are safe, you should be happy about the birth. What do you say to that? I think it completely writes one half of the mother-baby diet out of the conversation. And that doesn't seem to be very fair. Um, mm -hmm. A healthy mother is a healthy baby. So I, to say to those people, I say that is absolute rubbish. And the most important person in the mother-baby relationship is the mother because if the mother isn't healthy the baby isn't healthy you can't pour from an empty glass that's the thing isn't it yeah yeah um that's true of us who who do a lot of giving in our jobs as well um so are you able, are you comfortable telling us anything about your own trauma absolutely um so before i um before i explain i just want to say that birth trauma isn't necessarily as um it doesn't have to be as horrific as what some people go through there's a it's relative very, isn't it yeah there's a big tendency for people to compare trauma and mm -hmm. my definition of birth trauma is a birth that didn't go in a way that you expected or imagined that left you of negative thoughts afterwards mm -hmm. um, the reason why i'm saying that is because you've you've put in the trigger warning but what i went through was was quite an ordeal and i don't want people yeah. to think who haven't experienced something as extreme that they're, they're not uh, they're not wanted or that it's not relevant because it definitely is. Yeah, so definitely. My first trauma baby was slightly less traumatic, but let's face it, any birth that you're not hundred percent happy with um, mm -hmm. or shocking is, is birth trauma. So um, I had my first baby Felix. Um, it was a precipitous labor. And I had him from my waters breaking um, to the delivery of the baby in one hour and 17 minutes. Wow. So um, it was quite extreme. You know, they, they always say like your waters never go in the middle of the street. Guess what happened? 
yeah um i wasn't believed by the ambulance people um rocked up in labor and delivery fully dilated uh fetal ejection reflex there wasn't much time to figure out i was having a baby yeah how many weeks were you i was 35 and five so he was a month there okay okay um, so i had the whole first time mum of course you're not in labor suddenly baby mm-hmm. thing i didn't really have time to prepare for it you get in you you have a tendency with precipitous labors that's fast ones Mm-hmm. to uh, to have a certain level of, of shock either yeah. emotionally or physically and emotionally so um that hit me quite hard my um my second baby griffin was a grade three placental abruption okay. so i woke up in the middle of the night and i rolled out of bed and promptly hemorrhaged all over the floor mm-hmm. um when you spill a liquid it goes out pretty far so a little mm-hmm. bit of like, it like a lot but this was enough mm-hmm. to cover my pretty much my entire bedroom floor um most of the bathroom all the way down the stairs so thankfully since i'd had a precipitous labor before we were ready to go um and we had a plan for how to get to the hospital quickly and thankfully how many weeks were you with that pregnancy 38 and 4 so still pretty early um got to the hospital they attempted to break my waters there and couldn't um they were really really thick membranes um Mm -hmm. when they broke my waters it was just a river of blood that came out because mm. my centre had completely disintegrated. Mm-hmm. Um, I had something called a tetanic uterus or tetanic uterus, which is where okay. your uterus gets stuck in a contraction. Okay. I have a fairly high pain threshold, but that was like completely unimaginable pain. Um, mm-hmm. So they pulled the emergency cord, took me in for a cesarean. And after, you know, too long, I was uh, knocked out. Um, um, when I came to, I was in a phenomenal amount of pain. They'd only, um, they'd, according to the notes, they'd only given me um, a little bit of painkiller. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you have, um, when your placenta comes away like that, it causes a phenomenal, um, phenomenally large area of the mm-hmm. uterus that's basically an open wound. And I think that was something yeah. that and perhaps the uterus. But anyway, phenomenal amount of pain, completely unimaginable. I was holding my breath. Um, I thought it was only like five to 10 minutes before they had somebody insert a pick line with painkillers. Mm-hmm. It was 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. So 40 that's minutes. It's a long time to be in pain. I was continuously like holding my breath enough to pass out, which is why the time dilation was there. Yep. When, I, um, when I came to... They told me that um, I'd had a massive placental abruption. It had abrupted both sides, so the maternal and fetal side. It basically, mm-hmm. when they opened me up, they, and this is very graphic, so I do apologise. When they opened me okay. up, my, my uterus was literally just full of blood. Mm-hmm. Tiny, floating white baby, just mm-hmm. in the room. Blood. They pulled him out upside down, resuscitated him and took him to NICU. Um, but... Um, but no real reason my because there were no risk factors i wasn't at risk for a placental abruption at all mm-hmm. the uterus had completely disintegrated and when they sent it off to be looked at um yeah. it was only the size of a 36 week uterus and small for that placenta so, yeah sorry the placenta yeah. they, they yeah. couldn't figure out why it was so small um it looked like it had just given up and then completely disintegrated mm-hmm. um so when I came around and got given the painkillers, I was told that Griffin had been taken to Southampton, which is an hour and a half away. Um, okay. Why was that? Because he had, um, oh, it's H-I-E, 
hydro okay. something it's basically when um when a baby is starved of oxygen at birth mm-hmm. there's some cell damage surrounding the part of the brain that was starved of oxygen yeah um, and he has that and thankfully because the team acted so quickly he isn't that negatively affected by it he's he has yeah. extra neurology appointments but he's um he's he's uh he's doing pretty well considering he's um doing, how old is he now he is coming up to this year he'll be two in september okay. so just over 18 months at the moment mm-hmm. um i joined him in southampton about day three i think day three was when i met him for the first time wow um, that's a weird situation to be in um yes because generally when you give birth you're in a, a room and then either you catch your baby or somebody hands you your baby or somebody will wheel your baby over if you're especially um if you're especially stuck in your bed and being able to walk over to your baby and meet them that way for the first time is very very strange Mm. um obviously i'd had significant um blood loss um i'd lost about half my blood volume and i didn't have a a transfusion so i was very very weak um Mm -hmm. treated terribly well by the hospital when i uh, arrived at southampton i don't think they had received my notes and they don't think they understood the severity to her yeah so for example I I was woken up I I don't sleep very well after giving birth obviously mm-hmm. I was woken up at 11 p.m and asked to move rooms because somebody else needed it I, I had to walk around the hospital for three hours I had to wait in a room for for three hours by myself because they didn't know who I was and they didn't have my notes and stuff like that yeah and a lot of those things just the way I was the way I was treated the fact that like I wasn't offered any food for the entire time I was waiting in the hospital and stuff meeting Griffin the way that I did not knowing how well he was that's that's yeah. another thing that um a lot of people struggle with is when people say your baby isn't very well there's a very very big what does step. that mean yeah what does that mean do they have a little cold you know um or yeah do they have a life limiting or life-threatening condition Absolutely. Yep. I remember being afraid to ask. I asked when I came round, where's my baby? And they said, he's not very well. And I was afraid to ask again in case they said that he got worse. And that's a very difficult situation to be in. So um, I was able to hold Griffin for the first time when he was five days old. And the reason for that is because he was having a special sort, sort of therapy where they uh, give you hypothermia. Because if you, call blanket. Yeah, if you call somebody's yep. body and brain, he was at 33 degrees, um, it helps prevent any further brain damage. And they seems to have done the trick. The NICU people took fantastic care of him. So I held him for the first time. That was fantastic. We established a really good breastfeeding relationship, which was wonderful. Um, and then when, I, when we finally got home, um, which was, I think, about on day 10 or 11, I found it very difficult to be in my house because something horrific had happened there. Yeah. It was to the extent... Like the scene of the crime. Absolutely. And thankfully, my um, my parents had come round and cleaned up all the blood everywhere, which yeah. was very kind of them. But it was still as if I could see the blood was there. And my bedroom especially, I didn't want to go into. Um, mm-hmm. 
it was a place of fear for me. Um, I didn't sleep in my bedroom for the first eight months after I came back because I was so frightened of it. I just slept on the sofa. Yeah. Um, I mean, waking I, up to that experience, um, I can imagine all that would make you frightened to go to sleep. Absolutely. And if that's unlikely to, to recur, it's, you know, that's how our subconscious learns to keep us safe is by trying not to re- repeat uh, a situation that caused us harm. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely like a primordial fear. Yeah. Um, I had uh, flashbacks. And the weird thing is, it's not like, sometimes you watch PTSD on TV and somebody will see something happening and then look off into the middle distance because they're having a flashback. Mm. So a lot of people, it's not even doing something that reminds you of it. It's just a little, a little worm in your head that just comes in and tells you something horrible is happening to you. So it's not necessarily, it, I mean, you can definitely get triggered by, by certain things, but it doesn't always have to be triggers. It can just be really, really invasive thoughts that come in. Yeah, yeah intrusive thoughts, that, that, that voice mm. in your head, yep. So uh, I came home, I, I was in tears quite a lot because I've been through something, you know, fairly extreme. Um, the health visitor came round. It wasn't a health visitor that I'd met before. And it's very difficult if somebody's uh, reading a questionnaire and saying, have you, have you had any like uh, negative thoughts? It's very difficult to tell a stranger that you've never met before that you're having negative thoughts, especially mm, when you're yeah. reading the clipboard and you're frightened. Yeah. They're not looking at you and, and you don't really know their name even. Yeah. And you're frightened that if you answer wrongly, they might take your baby away. That was always yeah. a back fear of admitting that you need help with uh, a mental issue as a parent that maybe they're going to say you're not fit to look after this child so we'll take them away there's a background fear of having to say that to a stranger that you're having mental problems um and therefore when they when they did the the screening test for postnatal depression it doesn't come up with anything and obviously we don't have any current screening for ptsd which considering the of like a fantastically large amount of people per year are affected by birth trauma is absolutely ridiculous. There's yep. no screening for it. I didn't come up on the PND one and I wasn't really comfortable discussing my mental health with a stranger anyway. Yep. Um, I realized about on month four that I needed some form of help. I still had, couldn't go in my bedroom. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't put Griffin down for a really long time. Um, I carried him everywhere. We co-slept and I, I had my toddler as well. So mm-hmm. it was a bit of an intense time. I was always, <laughs> somebody was always sat on me. Yes. Um, but I'm sure that's the thing a lot of parents have. So uh, I think it got to about a month. Yeah, but it's not always, it's not always initiated by them. It's usually <laughs> initiated by the babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, I was um, quite protective of Griffin. So I realized I needed some, uh, some help coping it wasn't so much that I felt like I was at a brick wall but just I could do some help working through it so I looked online and I found I could self-refer to mental health support and unfortunately mm-hmm. as is true with a lot of places the mental health provision in our area isn't fantastic mm-hmm. they didn't have a support group local to me it was in Weymouth I don't drive okay. and it's a train That's ride so it's not yeah it's not the end of the world far but if you're going once a week for seven weeks and And you've got a toddler and you can't take your baby with you and you've got a toddler you can't take your baby either 
no you can't take your baby so wow. I don't know what they expected me to do because I was still breastfeeding mm-hmm. it wasn't a suitable solution and I'm sure that it's not a suitable solution for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, so that wasn't available to me when I said look I can't that's not workable in breastfeeding they offered me um, online support but when I looked into the support they were offering it was um, CBT Mm-hmm. I have nothing against CBT and I have nothing against any form of therapy I just felt that looking into what CBT was it's cognitive behavioral therapy it basically reprograms the way your brain thinks my yep. my trauma had quite a lot of levels and I thought a more person-to-person therapy would be better for me and I ended up going private because it was the only option available to me and I had private general counselling with a lovely lady and she which is great if you if you can you know get together the money to to afford that but um Absolutely. if you can't then where are you left yeah um there's a there's a big gap where people are suffering birth trauma and not getting any support for it at all there's no screening for it um there's no way of self-referring yourself to a system that's suitable for you I mean most people have a baby to look after after they've had birth trauma and it's it's not fair to expect them to leave the baby at home to go to perhaps a group therapy that may not be suitable for their particular circumstance I'm sure it's suitable for some people but it's not for everyone um so I had uh, therapy and I also worked on ways of keeping my mind and my body busy um one of my issues with my birth trauma was that my body didn't feel like my own because I'd gone in to give birth and then I'd woken up. There was like blood all over my hands and my body that wasn't there when I went in from the cesarean. Mm. Um, and I'd had other people's hands in me, which I didn't mm. expect was, I didn't expect to find traumatic considering that I'd never really thought about it when I thought about the eventuality of a cesarean before, but that was fairly traumatic that people's hands were like inside my body cavity without my permission and it didn't and that might not that might not have felt like a big deal afterwards if it hadn't have been for all of the other things surrounding that yeah but that you know but then that that small what you know relatively small compared to some of the other stuff happening it also becomes extreme because it's another thing that you didn't have control over Mm -hmm. um that is that is the whole thing it's a lack of control isn't it so and then in a way to get my uh some control back I took up running because I did have control over my body when I was running and I did a lot of knitting and that was good for my brain (laughs) because it was just like a rhythmic rhythmic pattern over and over again and it became muscle memory um so I found counseling and running and knitting incredibly helpful towards um moving towards a place where I felt comfortable discussing my birth trauma and helping other people with it um yeah so that's pretty much my birth trauma story there yeah so I also experienced um PTSD not necessarily birth trauma although it was related to a birth but I experienced PTSD um when I had my fifth child just counting on my fingers yeah my fifth child um and my daughter was was Um, born prematurely and although that part of the experience wasn't terribly horrific um, she she died a month later and so eventually I was left with a lot of trauma surrounding the whole process 
So, you know, then it did become an issue the way the birth had gone. Um, and I had a lot of flashbacks and intrusive thoughts. Um, and it wasn't long afterwards when I became pregnant again with my, um, my youngest. Mm. And it really, it was really, really difficult to deal with the hormones of pregnancy um, and the, you know, the psychological and emotional challenges that come with pre being pregnant anyway, um, especially after you have lost a child, um, you know, a few months before, literally a few months before, um, and um, not knowing whether this baby would, you know, go to term or not, um, and, and all of that. So I, I also sought help. I started with my GP. Um, that didn't work out very well. They did get um, counselling, bereavement counselling, um, eventually it was really hard because I had some appointments with my GP that just left me feeling so unsupported not even just not supported like the opposite of supported if that makes sense I went to um I went to an appointment I wanted my milk to stop mm -hmm. um you know this is before I got pregnant again I wanted my milk to stop and um they said I had to come in they couldn't do they couldn't just prescribe me something over the phone I had to come in and so this is about four days after my daughter's died. And so I didn't really want to go anywhere. Um, my husband took me to the GP. Um, we both went into the appointment. Uh, she asked, you know, what happened. I told her briefly what had happened. She prescribed me the pill, which, you know, I already had at home. I could have just taken that if yeah. I'd have known, you know, if they'd have said to me, we're just going to give you the pill. Mm -hmm. um, and she said to my husband, um, and how about you, dad? Are you looking after her? And it's, you know, what about him? What about mm -hmm. his grief and trauma? He's, he's just lost his daughter too. Um, and it was just, it, it carried on being like that. So when I said I needed, I said I needed help. Um, they said I had to come in and I said, I'm not coming. I'm not coming to the surgery. You know, what is it I need to do? Can't you just give me a telephone appointment? What is it you need to see in me to know that I need this? Um, and so strange that they needed that, isn't it? Yeah, and eventually, my I found my husband, and I said, you know, he can, you know, he can present as stronger than me when I'm feeling very emotional. Um, mm. And so I said, you know, they've upset me. I don't know what to do. And he phoned them and basically berated one of the receptionists and said, could you just get someone to talk to her on the phone, please? Um, and they called me back, and they went. Basically, I think they wanted to find out if I was suicidal or not. Um, and, and they, I think they thought they would, it would be easier to see face to face. Um, once they were confident that I wasn't suicidal, they said, well, you can self-refer to this counselling, this bereavement counselling. So all that, you know, two days worth of tears was completely unnecessary because they could have just given me the phone number of the, the counselling charity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I did have that. And then I did go on to have, um, and it, it, because of the waiting list and the underfunding of some of the mental health services, um, it was um, a while till I managed to get um, sort of formal therapy. Um, and some of that was CBT, which for me was useful because yeah. the kinds of, I was having panic attacks um, mm. and they weren't always related to the actual trauma, but they were, I, I constantly feared that my daughter's, my, you know, my new daughter, her life was in danger. Um, and so um, it was things like she'd be sitting in a chair in the kitchen 
sort of you know as a newborn lying down on in one of those bouncy chair things and I'd walk I'd be cooking and I'd say what if I drop the knife on her what will happen then you know not I'm going to drop the knife or I feel like I want to it was just you know why am I thinking about what would happen if a knife fell on her because that's those are the, how the intrusive thoughts were happening for me yeah it's just that um primordial fear thing isn't it just going yeah, slightly just can't, you can't ignore it it's it, 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 it's yeah and it, it becomes it sort of it gets into everything any situation I've, I had a panic attack in a tube um you know just just places where I would normally be fine I would yeah. just have have these crazy thoughts you know what if someone what if someone has a bomb on the tube what will that feel like how will that feel to explode on the tube just mm. you know that I would never thought have thought about in my in my normal mind you know yeah that sounds like it must have been a really difficult time for you I'm I'm glad that the the cbt helped yeah we did a lot of we did a lot of um looking in sort of cementing the stuff in my memory and that mm. that was that was um how how the therapist worked with me is, is is cementing the stuff and also a lot of going back and making sure that i knew that there was nothing i could have done differently to change yeah. to change the outcome yeah i found that with my general counseling um in that my counsellor pointed out that I was blaming myself Mm. for a lot of everything Mm. um that literally there was nothing I could have done and coming to that realization was a very very powerful thing yeah and I imagine maybe that that might have been the same for you that you were constantly blaming yourself wondering if it was something you'd done yeah and it removes a lot of that guilt and regret and we already have enough guilt as as parents um we don't need extra guilt actually that that doesn't that isn't true or valid um, oh, yeah I with that. yeah so um so how just going back to your first birth and the trauma from your first birth did that have an impact on you in your second pregnancy because I'm quite a practical person um yes. I wanted to kind of assuage the emotional side of it by being incredibly practical so I was just looking at ways of making sure I got to the hospital on time if I had another quick birth. Um, I didn't leave the house for the last six weeks of my pregnancy because I was very nervous of being out in public and having to give birth in public. Yeah. Um, so I just didn't leave the house. I couldn't be left alone either. We mm-hmm. only moved into the area literally about, well, when I was pregnant, we moved into the area. So we didn't really know any of our neighbours. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if I could pop next door. Also, we had a toddler yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so I didn't find that there was much, my brain didn't allow for much emotional consideration. It was all just the practical aspects of making sure nothing untoward or, or horrible or, or public would happen and yeah. just trying to control the situation that way. Planning for the worst case scenario, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how can it affect your parenting? So if you've, if you've been through trauma um, with that birth or any other birth, um, how can it affect your parenting and also your relationship with your partner if you have one? So I think this depends on the person. Um, some people can find it quite hard to bond with their babies, especially if they've been through a NICU experience. And mm. even more so if that NICU experience has affected their breastfeeding journey in any way. Because it can be yeah. really hard to establish breastfeeding in that environment. More guilt, um, yeah. I 
found that it had an impact on slight impact on my relationship with my toddler because I was I wasn't I don't think I was overbearing about uh Griffin but I was very nervous of putting him down or leaving him anywhere and it meant that I couldn't be as hands-on with my toddler as I would have liked um and my husband is thankfully the most supportive and sensitive person I've met in my life he'd make a great doula um but I found I find in any situation where um I'm suffering with my mental health and I'm sure this is true of other people with supportive partners that you do tend to feel guilty about leaning on them um for emotional or practical support with stuff so obviously because I was having a rough time it was it was dragging uh it was dragging our relationship as a whole a little bit further down just because I mm-hmm. was pulling on pulling on the relationship a little further so for me it was the guilt from that um but I imagine people with maybe slightly less supportive partners or or support networks around them may find that uh the situation is a bit more hard to manage with regards to high running emotions and and loud emotions as well yeah yeah my husband um you know um normally we are no less dysfunctional than than any other um, couple I guess um but um we he he really after my daughter died he was so solid um and you know he obviously he was experiencing his own grief but we just became so much closer in that time and I'm really I feel really grateful that 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 it went that way rather than the other way because you know you do see um families who can be torn apart by um the after effects of uh, of a tricky birth or a tricky situation I think especially the situation you went through, it's, it's a punctuation mark, isn't it? There's a before mm. and an after. And I guess with most traumatic births, there's definitely a before and an after. And it's the way the rest of that sentence goes. Yeah. And the way you, yeah. you treat each other in that time. It can be exceptionally difficult. I think anyone going through that sort of situation needs to look into what their local support networks are, whether that's parents or brothers and sisters or yeah. a postnatal doula who can just provide some form of stability. I remember when I was in my uh, training with Kiki um, to be a doula, we talked about the benefits of being not emotionally involved in a birth. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very true for postnatal doulas too, where you're not necessarily involved emotionally as deep as, as the people who are experiencing it. Yeah. So you can offer some form of some plateau of sensibility, some plateau of normality in yeah. what is otherwise a really difficult time. And that's why I think postnatal doulas are so important because they're yeah. just providing normality to what is otherwise a crazy situation, regardless. Mm-hmm. Keeping of things going, keeping things yeah. ticking along because life does go on. You know, the world carries on, even though you want it to stop. Um, the world does carry on despite your trauma. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky. I've got a great support network. Um, I've got, you know, we've got both of our parents, um, uh, you know, close, close enough um, to, to give us practical and emotional support. Um, yeah. Got great friends and a great doula as well. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, okay. So 
just thinking about um so you know like in in your so for your situation you had a difficult but two difficult births themselves but also there are other things surrounding that that so the the labor and some of the stuff that happened afterwards as well that yeah. added to that um so i was just going to give an example of um a client i worked with um who had also done hypnobirthing with me so i, I teach hypnobirthing um mm -hmm. and I hadn't understood the level of her anxiety about birth in the first place. Yeah. Um, and um, so, and the birth had gone from, from my point of view, it looked like it had gone amazingly. Um, and it was an intervention free um, birth. Um, but then afterwards, when, when she needed to have um, a, a tear repaired in theater, um, she you know fell apart because she'd used up and her words were I used up all my brave um and it was that subsequent procedure the the, the theater experience that then presented afterwards a trauma in her um, yeah. for, for quite a while actually um and so it's not always the birth itself you know the way the baby comes out it's not always that specific experience part of the experience that can cause trauma so if there are people out there listening who are thinking, well, the baby was fine, but, you know, I had this other thing afterwards. Does that count? Yes, it counts. You know, it relates to the, the journey of you becoming a parent. Um, I saw yeah. pregnancy as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Pregnancy trauma. Yep. Yeah. So as, as doulas and birth workers and midwives and, and people who support new families, um, how can we provide better support to families who may have experienced birth trauma? I think what can be incredibly beneficial, not only as a doula, but just as a human, is taking some form of um, counselling course because it can help you become a better listener. Mm. And I think a large part of being a good doula is listening. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually did a counselling course and it was, I think it's free to British nationals. So if you live in the UK, um, you can probably do it for free. I, I'll pop you the link through afterwards of, of where I did it. But I, it was a, a nine week counselling course that I did th through distance learning. And it gave me a fantastic foundation for um, active listening, um, listening as a whole and how to approach um, situations from a counselling perspective because that's essentially what you're doing in those sorts of situations I'd recommend that people look into even if they just buy a book on it but yeah. just look into to counselling because that can be a fantastic string to add to your bow mm -hmm. um, I also think that um, just paying attention not necessarily listening to people but just watching people how they behave um, one thing I think is really important is not writing other people's stories so when somebody has a traumatic birth they may not realize it for a little bit I didn't yep. for yep. two or three weeks afterwards didn't really realize the depth of what I'd been through I think it's really important but the first to... one were, were people saying you know well you were lucky that it was fast yeah that's very very difficult because when people say that you want to cry and it's not yeah. a good look no um but yeah, I think it's really important not to assume somebody's had a traumatic birth if it's all gone a bit crazy. And I also think that it's good to watch people because sometimes people don't like or don't feel comfortable talking about their mental health and how they feel about a birth, even to a doula. 
and it might just be that you need to just watch them closely watch their behavior make sure that they're behaving um as as you'd expect because there can be additional um perinatal mental health issues that can arise so yep. postpartum psychosis and stuff just watch people to make sure that they're behaving normally that they're not crying too much i mean it's it's I hate to say it, but it's fairly usual to cry, at least for yes. me. Yes. <laughs> yes, all of my all of my babies. Yeah, trauma or no trauma. Right. Um so uh, I feel it's a way to get rid of all that excess fluid. That's my oh, excuse. I've never thought of that before. That's brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, just watch people to make sure that they're behaving in a way that you'd expect that you think is normal for them under the circumstances if they start not behaving that it it's not for you to say hey do you think you've had birth trauma it's for you to listen so being a good listener and being able to watch people to figure out if they're behaving normally are two very very important skills for a doula to have yeah um do you think there's any danger in exploring trauma with clients if you're not qualified to do so i think it depends on the client and i think it depends on the doula which i know is a terrible answer to that question well you know but um, yeah because because i i I was you know there are some techniques that that i you know i've I've considered training in um not counseling i did consider becoming a counselor before i became a doula actually um it was just it was quicker to become a doula than it was to become a counselor um (laughs) and um so you know there are some things where i i just don't feel qualified to offer some of the what seem like quick fixes um mm-hmm. and that's not that's not to belittle those those methods i'm sh- i'm sure that they're great for the right people and but if they're done by the right people but i would worry that i would leave somebody you know where i've sort of poked a hole in their trauma and then and then walked away um, and not known how to mop up the, yeah. the the aftermath of that yeah so it depends if somebody's level of birth trauma is um possibly that they don't feel comfortable with what happened and it might be that some education into the physiological side of how birth is meant to go that that might be beneficial to them and that might help resolve things it might help fill in a couple of the missing puzzle pieces for them and that may help them in their in like figure out things for themselves but if you've got somebody coming up to you that's saying like every time I try to drive past that hospital I have to pull over and have Mm -hmm. a attack and mm-hmm. you know like have people knocking at the window going you're right dear that sort of thing yeah. there's levels of trauma um I think and it would be very unwise of somebody to try and approach something that they felt was out of their that they felt out of their depth with because mental yeah. health is a very fragile thing I think the most effective thing people can do is again just listening and referring to professionals um in mental health I think that's mm-hmm. that's important yeah, great. So lots of signposting. Absolutely, um, signposting for yeah. days. <laughs> yeah. Are there any books or websites or podcasts um, that you'd recommend to doulas who'd like to be well up, more well informed on this? Um, there is. Um, oh, what's that book series? Um, oh, why the birth why it matters. Yeah. Yeah. Why birth trauma matters, published by Pinter and Martin. That's an incredibly yeah. good book. Um, if you search birth trauma on Amazon, the first three or four books that come up are written by people who either have a background in 
um, perinatal mental health or have experience with birth trauma and they, they can be really useful personally. Mm-hmm. The book that actually got me into doulaing was um, Birth a History by Tina Cassidy, um, mm-hmm. which dealt with the whole, the whole history of, of birth from as far back as we have records and how it was dealt with and how it was um, and like leading to today's um, NHS and how physiological birth works and stuff like that. So for me, physiological birth education um, was, was really useful. So any books on that, I think, um, it, again, it depends on the person, but that, that can be pretty useful. Yeah. Um, for websites, I'd probably say the um, Birth Trauma Association's Facebook group. Mm-hmm. we have a fairly large facebook group it's the parent support group so people can come there and if they feel comfortable like sharing their stories they can if they don't yeah. want to they just want to listen and understand that they're not alone yeah that, that, can, that can be you know such a healing thing to know that actually somebody else is feeling um obviously not exactly like you because now we're all, all unique and all our experiences are unique but that somebody mm-hmm. speak, who recognizes how you're feeling that means you're not alone. Absolutely. And it is difficult because you can go to, um, well, obviously not in the current climate, but you can go to mother and baby groups and everyone sits around and go, oh, how was your birth? Oh, it was great. You know, I was in and out yeah. in a day. And yeah. then someone turns to you with your NICU baby in your hospital yeah. and you're losing half yeah. your blood. And says, how was yours? And what, what do you say? How much do you say? It's you're terrified. You're already. It's, it's already difficult for a lot of new parents to go to those things because there's a lot of comparing and you know, oh, that person's got it together more than me, and you don't want to fall apart, you know, at your at your introduction. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of fear involved in those in attending those things. Absolutely, it's only meant to be an introduction. It's not meant to be yeah. like a thrilling, but it feels yes. like it because you have yeah. a complex answer to that question. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah it does provide the birth trauma association facebook group does provide um like-minded souls who've also been through difficult stuff so you don't get into that situation of how was your birth there yeah. okay last question um how can people support the birth trauma association charity um birth trauma association is a very very small charity um, we've only got one person um, taking a, a wage from the charity and it's, it's not very much at all. So it's run basically entirely by volunteers. We have the committee and we have, um, we have a, a small group of uh, peer to peer support people as well. who have been trained up to, to help answer support emails. It's very small and it's, uh, it could really, really do some extra support. Um, so you can raise money just for the birth trauma association you know bake sales sponsored hikes that sort of thing and they have a just giving page that you can uh, provide money to um we also offer a, a membership option now the membership option um gets you uh, a newsletter four times a year and 10 pound a year that's well it. that's a bargain yeah 10 pound a year from from people makes an absolutely massive difference to the charity um, we currently offer, um, obviously, moderation of the Facebook group. We've got support by email if people want to speak more um, one-on-one to someone who's been through a similar situation through trained-up uh, peer supporters. And we're currently looking to um, build up a, a phone support, which is actually, when I was in hospital, what I really needed. 
somebody passed me in a, a thing on um, having a baby in Niku, but there was nothing for me. There's no leaflet for me. Of yeah, yeah. And I looked it up on their support uh, website for the hospital, and there was nothing for birth trauma. There was postnatal yeah. anxiety, but obviously this is the day after I'd had it. And I didn't feel anxious at that. It's point. not the same. Yeah. There's nobody to talk to, and having somebody that I could just phone up and be like, I've no idea just what just happened. Can I talk through mm-hmm. it with? That would have been fantastic. So I'm incredibly keen on on us getting the um the phone support up and running. So that's uh that's something we're currently working towards. So providing money, um, there's a, a just giving if you search for uh, birth trauma association just giving, and there's also uh the the membership option, which if you join the parent support group, I think we have listed a sticky at the top. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Zell, for talking to me today. That's been amazing. It's been so lovely to speak to you. Thank you.